Good morning, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the service as much as I am this morning. It's great to come together to worship and share fellowship, even although that we are apart. This is the seventh week of our series, and I hope that it's helping you as much as it's been helping me. And this morning, we're going to move into looking at grace and guilt and shame. But before I do, I want to read from the Word of God, from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let us pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you so much that you have made the way whereby we can come into your very presence, that through Jesus we have been forgiven and you have made the possibility for us to enter into your very presence and experience your love and your mercy. We say thank you for that. As we consider the this this morning, Lord, help us to really open our minds to what that really means so that we can take it on and embrace it wholeheartedly so that we can live free the way that you intended for us to live. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been interesting. Recently, I've been receiving a few different invitations for weddings, for baby showers, for all sorts of things. And I absolutely love it when we open and receive that invitation. Probably the better part, though, is actually going to the event, going to the wedding, going to the baby shower. That's what's really great. But even when I consider all of those wonderful invitations that I've received, I think that being invited to a seat at the table with Almighty God is the most wonderful, the most amazing invitation that I will ever receive. Over the past six weeks, we have been teaching about the life-changing benefits that are ours as we understand and enjoy all that God is providing for us at his table. Victory over sin, having an ordered mind, freedom, the ability to take control of our fears. All of these are the benefits of having a seat at the table with Almighty God. Yet it's important to understand that the ultimate benefit for us all is not even the feast God gives us to enjoy, you know, those things I was just talking about. The ultimate benefit is God himself. That's the powerful message of this invitation. God is sitting at the table with us. But we've also learned over the past weeks that there is someone else lurking around, lurking around the table our enemy who desperately wants a seat at the table too. We've learned how quickly he pulls up a seat to divert our attention from our Heavenly Father. And we've also learned the danger if we open ourselves and allow him a seat at the table. Now, he often comes as our supposed friend, whispering promises to us, getting us to doubt God's goodness. And before we know it, we are enticed by his laws and we give him our attention. But his goal is to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy us. And no matter how subtly he comes, we have to remember who he is and what his purposes are. Nevertheless, even when we remember that and know that, we may still give in to him. 
And when we realise what we have done, we feel guilty and ashamed. We feel like a failure. We knew that we shouldn't do that, but we did it anyway. And often because of that, we sort of have this sense that God's finished with us, that we've disqualified ourselves from having a close relationship with him or even serving him. But that's not the case. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God forgives our sins through Jesus and he makes us brand new. Now, our part in all of this is to confess, to admit to the Lord that we have been wrong, that we have been entertaining the enemy's thoughts and even acting on them. But when we repent, God wipes out our sins. He forgives us totally and he cleanses us and God banishes the devil from the table. Now, how do we get to this point of realisation that we need to confess? How do we know that, yeah, we've done that wrong, that that we shouldn't have done that? Well, I think the best way to describe it is sort of an uneasy feeling in your spirit. The Holy Spirit actually convicts us. I'm sure you've experienced that uneasy feeling when you know you've done something wrong and you shouldn't have done it and you feel you know, bad on the inside. And what we call that is guilt. You feel guilty. Guilt is actually knowing what you've done is wrong and being willing to be accountable for it. Basically, it means that you've admitted that you've given the enemy a seat at your table and you take responsibility for that. Now, when we come to this realisation of guilt, that we are guilty, what often follows next is a feeling of shame. The danger of shame is that it defines us. Now, guilt says that you did something wrong, that what you did was wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. I am bad. But the good news is that there is freedom from both guilt and shame, and the pathway to this freedom is the story of grace. Shame defines us but grace redefines us. Grace not only cancels guilt and shame, but it also redefines you and me. I wonder if you've ever ever heard of the story written by Nathaniel Hawthorne in 1850 called The Scarlet Letter. This story is about a young girl called Hester Prynne, and she became pregnant as a result of an act of adultery. Now, because of that, she was put into prison as her punishment. After the baby was born and was three months old, she was released from prison, but her punishment didn't end there. She was publicly shamed after that time, and what she had to do is the people of the town made her go into the town square and stand there for three hours a day, every day, wearing a red cloth around her neck with the letter A on it. Her ongoing punishment was public shaming. They defined her by what she had done. Now, the problem is that many of you are walking around with a scarlet letter of your own. You are defined by your sin. You look at the letter on your chest and say, yep, that's me. Or maybe even it's somebody else's that has impacted, somebody else's sin that's impacted your life. Even then, you look in the mirror and say, I'm damaged, I am ruined. Now, the enemy wants to define you by your scars. 
but Jesus wants to define you by his scars. Let me say that again. The enemy wants to define you by your scars, but Jesus wants to define you by his scars. He died on the cross. He suffered so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our guilt and shame could be washed away and we get a brand new identity. We don't have to wear that identity anymore. We are now a child of God. We are a son or daughter of the King. We are an heir to all that God has. Grace not only cancels guilt and shame, grace redefines you. You're a beloved family member of God. And because of that, you are given a seat at the table of the Almighty, Almighty God himself. Now, probably one of the best examples of this transformation is Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' followers. On the, on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus revealed that someone was going to betray him that night. Now, the disciples were shocked by this, and Peter particularly, he was indignant. And he said, You can count on me, Jesus. I love you more than all of these guys, and I will follow you all the way, even to prison, even to death. The Bible tells us, Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. The Last Supper concluded, and later that evening, Judas led the Roman soldiers to Jesus, and he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Jesus was arrested, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was scorned, he was questioned, he was treated terribly. Now, we don't know where all the rest of the disciples were, but Peter did follow sort of at a distance. Now, his good intentions got him that far, but then came Peter's crunch time. While Peter stood outside in the courtyard, uh, you know, warming his hands by the fire, a young woman came up and questioned him. And he said, weren't you with that man, Jesus? And Peter said, oh, no, I didn't know. I don't know him. And then someone else comes up to him and says, uh, started asking him questions about Jesus and asking him, weren't you one of his followers? And Peter denied it. And then another person recognized Jesus as a Galilean and said, didn't you know Jesus? Now, this was Peter's moment. The pressure was on. He was afraid. And for a third time, Peter denied knowing him. We know the story, or many of us know the story. With Peter's third denial, the rooster crowed, and Peter realized what he had done. He'd sounded so strong in his love for Jesus during the supper time. Yet when the pressure was on, in the heat of the moment, in the courtyard, Peter crumbled. And he knew it. The Bible says he was remorseful and wept bitterly. The story continued and Jesus went to the cross. Peter bailed on his mission, but Jesus didn't. Shame not only defines us if we allow it to take over our lives, but it also causes us to turn away from the life God purposed for us. After Jesus' resurrection, the story moved to Galilee. Peter and six of the disciples had gone fishing. Peter had failed when he denied Jesus. So what did he do? He returned to his old job of fishing. Not fishing for men, as Jesus had called him, but fishing for fish. Peter felt so ashamed. He had that label around his neck, three times denier. 
And that's what he believed. That's who he was. He was a three times denier. And he believed he no longer had any place in the plans and purposes of Jesus. I wonder if you've ever been in a similar place where you've done something and you've thought, that wipes me out. I'm this. You put the, put the identification around and say, this is who I am. You feel ashamed. And so what do you do? Instead of turning to Jesus, who has the answer of forgiveness, you, you turn away from him. You look to hide. You, you look to, to be as far away from him as you can because you've sinned. You've given the enemy a seat at the table and you want to hide from God. When that happens, we often go to a familiar place, even although that familiar place is not part of God's call on our lives. You go to a place that you know because you feel safer there. Now, it, it might not even be a place of great sin, but merely it's a place where you think you can do life without God. And I think perhaps that's the worst sin of all. And in this place, it's hard to believe that you could ever be restored well, back to Peter's story. They'd fished all night and caught nothing. And then Jesus showed up. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore and he asked them if they'd caught any fish. Now, of course, Jesus knew that they hadn't. What he was really saying was, how's that working for you? In other words, you've been out all night. It's been a long night. Not got anything yet. How's that working for you? You've forgotten your original calling and mission. How's that working for you? You've returned to the familiar, convenient, safe place. How's that working for you? So Jesus told them then to throw their nets on the other side. Now, these men were experienced fishermen. They had been out fishing. They, had, I'm sure, not only they thrown themselves on the side they were on, they would have tried the other side and the front and the back. They were trying to you know, collect fish. And so what was different this time? That now suddenly, when they did throw their nuts on the other side, the, you know, they were full to breaking. The difference was Jesus. Jesus was behind the declaration now. And when Jesus speaks, circumstances change, situations change, our lives can change. And Peter and his disciples were given the opportunity to respond to what Jesus did. And when they did, their nets were full and immediately Peter became excited. He got out of the boat because he knew Jesus was the answer and he ran to Jesus, you know, wading through the water as fast as he can with the disciples coming behind, dragging the full nets. When they got to shore, Jesus had a fire going and uh, he had fresh bread and he said, you know, do you want to bring the fish and we'll have breakfast together? Jesus wasn't there to berate Peter. He was there to invite him to a seat at his table. Peter had denied Jesus through a time of his greatest need. And you know what? Really, Jesus had every right to shame him, to identify him by his sin. Nobody would have been surprised if Jesus had said, Hey, Peter, at the moment when I needed you most, you denied me three times. Why did you let me down at the most critical moment of my mission? Peter, I really can't trust you. You've been disloyal. But Jesus, of course, didn't say anything like that. 
And he doesn't, just as he didn't say anything like that to Peter, he doesn't say anything like that to you and to me. He simply said to Peter, come and have breakfast. Come and have a seat at my table. And that's what he says to me. He would have realized that Peter was wet and cold and hungry. And he said, come, I'll provide for you what I need. Here's a warm place to be. Here's a place of love and acceptance. Come and have a seat at my table. And what do you think Jesus will do for you? He'll do the same thing. But we play out this scene in our heads where we have Jesus accusing us, telling us that what we've done is wrong and that we are this and we are that, that we've fallen short. But you know what? He doesn't. He says, come and have a seat at my table. I love you. I have a way for you to be forgiven. I have a way for you to find freedom and peace in your life. No, our lives, we are not useless. We are not finished. Because in Romans 8, 1, we are, set, we are told in the Bible, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus gave us a perfect picture of this verse in the way that he dealt with Peter. And Jesus offers me and he offers you the same kindness, the same grace. After the meal, Jesus had some more kind words for Peter. He asked him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than all these old ways, enough to let go of your shame? Peter affirmed his love for Jesus three times. And Jesus replied, well, feed my sheep. Right there, Jesus did more for Peter and more for us than we can imagine. Jesus was telling Peter he wasn't finished. He had a wonderful plan for his life. And what grace means is that all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving shame. Peter was going to be the rock on which the mission of God would be established and carried forward. Jesus was telling Peter that his identity isn't a denier of Jesus, but he's a hero of the faith and a legend in the church. In fact, shortly after this, Peter is going to preach the gospel of Jesus and thousands of people were saved. Yes, there were consequences to Peter's denial. I mean, it wasn't swept under the carpet. We're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Everybody knows about what Peter did. And there are consequences sometimes for our decisions. But Jesus never focused on his failure. What he focused on was his restoration. And that's what grace does. Grace focuses on our restoration. God, grace not only removed Peter's guilt, but it removed his shame. And his identity was no longer wrapped up in his denial. He had failed, but he wasn't a failure. Peter's life was no longer marked by shame. Grace redefined him as a friend of God and a member of God's family. And that's what God's grace does for you and for me. When Jesus invites you to a seat at his table, he's simply asking you, do you love me? And if you answer yes, Jesus moves forward with the restoration. He says, that's great because my grace covers your guilt. My grace removes your shame and I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to be part of my mission. I want you to love people in my name. You don't have to sit in the back row and hide for the rest of your life. 
You do not have to live in the shadows. You don't have to build a protective wall around yourself. You don't have to hide from people who love you and care for you. Your call is to help take my name to the world. And I want you in the front row on that mission. You've been chosen by me to carry forth the plans and purposes that I have for you, my plans and purposes. You're not going to live defined by shame and guilt. You're going to live defined by me. Now, the enemy wants to twist that. He does not want you to listen to that. He wants to gain your attention and to look away from God and what he's saying to you. But Psalm 34, 5 says, Those who look to the Lord are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Sitting at the table with him, look to him and his radiance will reflect in you. I mean, do you think of yourself as radiant? It's a powerful image, and it's the opposite of shame. And if you're looking to the Lord, you are radiant. Your face is reflecting the light and love of Christ, and you are never covered with shame. I know it can be hard to forgive yourself. I, I remember as a, as a late teenager, I made some bad choices. And you know what? It, was, it took 12 years for me to allow God to remove the guilt and shame relating to those things. Your new identity doesn't rely on you letting yourself off the hook. Your new identity stems from the realisation that Jesus forgives you and Jesus lets you off the hook. The world says shame on you, but Jesus takes shame off you. Your new identity comes from agreeing with Jesus, what he's saying about you. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. Do you agree with him? If you want to live wholeheartedly, you need his grace to free you from your guilt and shame. And only he can do that. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you so much for the truth of that word. We thank you, God, that you forgive us, that you give us a new identity, that we don't have to be defined by the things that we have done that are wrong, but we're defined by your grace. We're redefined by you as sons and daughters of God, as people who you love deeply and intimately. We know you invite us to your table so that we can enjoy being in your presence, so that we can reflect your radiant glory. And I pray, God, you will help us to accept that invitation. If there are people this morning, Lord, here who have not yet accepted that invitation, I pray that you will help them to say yes to you and to find full restoration through you. For some who may have, you know, feel like they've got to hide because of the things that they've done, God, I pray today that they will t respond to that invitation to sit at the table with you and have that guilt and shame removed and to live out of beautiful relationship with you. And we know, God, that if we look to you, that the enemy cannot get a seat at the table if we keep our eyes focused on you. We thank you, God, for the work that you have done through Jesus, for the grace that you have poured out over us. We love you and we thank you for all that you mean to us, for what you have done for us, for who you are in our lives every day. Help us to keep remembering truth. Help us to keep living truth. Help us to keep experiencing the joy that comes through knowing you, through having a seat at the table with you. 
I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. May God continue to reveal himself to you as you walk in relationship with him.